All right. Um, welcome to another segment of enjoying some coffee. Uh, so what I thought I would do a little differently this time is try and outline what we're going to talk about. So anybody who wants to listen to the podcast at least knows what's in store for them. Usually we just kind of meander to a space. So um, we're actually uh, off-site again. Um, and um, we're going to talk about some coffees, obviously. And then we're going to talk a little bit about um, really kind of opening a coffee shop, not knowing really exactly what I wanted the coffee shop to do, but how uh, I think a customer initially, but then a friend helped me inform and sort of articulate my coffee identity as they also s sort of matured their coffee identity. Uh, and then um, the, our guest today also has their own business and they were um, doing their business about the same time some started and how what it means to start a business, to grow it to a certain size or a certain age, and then sort of reconnect with those core pr principles and the reason behind starting a business and and where to take it, you know, the next couple of years. So uh, my guest today is Dan. He is the creator and executor and entrepreneur of Mofu Tofu, which is stands for Missouri Tofu. Is that right? Could be Missouri Tofu Tofu. Yeah. Could be. Could be. <laughs> and uh, the coffees that I've brought actually, I think this is a, a really interesting. Um, um, experience. So we brought. Uh, I brought an Ecuador. So this is new to the shop. It is. Uh, uh, I don't really, honestly, I have to be honest, have a tremendous amount of details around the coffee. So we're in a way going to be cupping it almost blindly, or kind of like a first experience. Um, and then I also brought a sort of a beta roast of a Colombia. We've been roasting in the shop for a while, but we decided to half the batch size to see what it would do with the, to the cup profile. Um, so we are actually at Dan's house, and thank you, Dan, for letting us do this here at your house, and he is brewing the coffee. And so I think this is great because, you know, when, you, uh, when you're a roaster and, and you're roasting coffee and selling whole bean, you're really not selling a finished product. And people basically have to take it home and essentially complete it. It's like it's like IKEA furniture with less instructions, maybe. It's like a field test. Yeah. So it's a, this is a field test. So uh, Dan has brewed up a cup of the Ecuador, the Merced that we have in the shop, um, and he brewed it as a V60, so very similar to how the method we brew in the shop. But he looks like he had a little bit of a different style. He pulse uh, brewed it. I didn't watch all the details. But I, I also didn't see the dose ratio or anything like that. So um, if you want to talk a little bit about your madness or methodology. Um, my madness has evolved over time just by watching people in the shop when I go there and um, from like your notes. But it was 27 grams. Um, and then I brewed it out to 390 milliliters uh, or 390 grams. And it was sort of a pulse pour. I started changing my method when you got the pour steady. Yeah. 
and started doing the pulse board based off of how great the cups were coming out of there. So I've started doing like a zigzag pattern and then like can slow down the flow a little bit. Yeah. And push it a little bit if I need to. Uh -huh. So I just watch what it's doing and then kind of mimic or pour steady, if you will. And that's my method. That's that's pretty awesome. So uh, this is a total side note. This isn't like anything we talked about uh, or teased that we would talk about. But I think the poor study uh, for us, um, and you know a lot of members of the of the team at Sump personally um, and socially. Um, but I think when we got the poor study initially, because it is a robot, there was this idea that maybe we are going in the wrong direction, and it wasn't on just on the sort of guest side of the counter it was actually on the staff side of the counter too and um we didn't really have like uh, i don't know we didn't have like this sort of come to god moment where we're all like all right we're gonna do this but you could tell that there were people that were you know obviously i'm the boss so they're like okay i'll do this but you could see people that were still on the outside, like, I'm going to brew my own cup down here. And to get people on the same page to say, like, look, we're not taking a factory setting and pressing a button and making a cup. We, we still have to think about what we do and work within a constraint of that system to create something exceptional. But what we end up with is a more consistent cup. I, th I think – I don't want to say better cup but an equal and sometimes better cup. Um, for me, let's say we have six or seven different coffees in the shop right now. It allows me to clearly identify all those coffees. Whereas before somebody would brew me a cup of something in the shop and I would maybe guess one or two times before I'd get it right. So I feel like this solidifies the identity of each cup. It makes something tremendously consistent it also helped inform us with methodology, kind of like what you're talking about, to explore the cup a little bit more fully or in a different mindset. And hopefully it frees up the, the staff member to engage with people that come in, to talk about the coffees, to talk about the weather, to talk about you know life, what's, whatever's going on. But there's a higher engagement instead of looking down at a timer and a scale and you know a, a poor geometry so i am i still don't think we've explored the full dimensionality of that machine but i am i've been really really impressed with what it produces i think i understand why you hesitate to say it's a better cup but i would say from my perspective i think the poor steady hands down is produces a better more consistent pour over than i'm like doing it manually and having them both like side by side, it's it's it really is like pretty remarkable to see um, how how much better it is, like how much more clarity is in the cup, like, yeah. Everything, it's yeah. more in the consistency, it's unreal. So, I would agree with you. I love that machine. I was hesitant <laughs> when I saw it. I was like, "Fuck this! Yeah. <laughs> what is right McDonald's shit?" I do think that it's cool that it pushed more. Uh, direction towards the slayer yeah which i was a big advocate for like seeing that like my opinion matters but totally to me i saw that and i was like oh they can really focus on like working with the slayer more and like really hone in on those skills which to me is like 
what like a true barista is yeah is being able to like pull shots and mm -hmm. that's like what i really like so yeah I, I thought that was cool yeah i i think that machine so anyone who doesn't know what a poor study is it's basically just a robotic arm in a rig setting um and it um is plugged into a boiler with a pump and you control the geometry and the timing of the pores. That's really all it is. So it essentially mimics what a barista might do with a gooseneck kettle, but in a very exacting, repeatable, you know, less variance than what a barista might do. Poor study sponsoring this podcast. Yeah, right. Poor study sponsoring. <laughs> Sorry. So that was a digression. So, anyways, we've got uh, Dan has made this, um, you know. Uh, this cup of the uh, Merced uh, I think it's cooled now he probably made it about 10-15 minutes ago uh, where it took me forever to set up we're going to drink it we're going to talk about the tasting notes like we always do um, and then no that's perfect perfect and then we're going to hopefully tackle some other topics so I think this ratio does it end up being still one in fourteen? Um, I think it's like right around there. It's a little less, probably, right? Um, I, don't know. I never, I don't think about it. And so you do, you you do this larger size because you typically make a, a cup for you and your wife. So mm -hmm. it basically, makes two cups. So in the shop, we do something close twenty five grams to three hundred fifty grams of water. So that it typically ends up being like one in fourteen. So this sounds like it's in the neighborhood, I not over one is. in 15. Um, it's 14 and a half. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this coffee it perfectly fills this cup. Is that a 10 ounce? 12 ounce. I have no idea. That looks. Somebody gave these to us for a wedding. It has a thin lip on top. So oh, that's good texture. This has a thin lip too. Try this one. I don't think you can get this in the States. Coffee Libra? Yeah, this is my 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 coffee gift. That's a good weight. I, mean, I feel like it's got a good texture, the matteness of it. It reminds me of those uh, heat ceramics, kind of those uh, demi-tosses. Yes, it is uh, made in South Korea, which is where the coffee shop is. And if I read this right, it says soil baker. <clears throat> it's pretty good. So for this coffee, uh, whoa, <laughs> big Mike is getting big. He's a fat cat. Whoa, he has got a little bit of a jelly belly there. Yeah, he's showing it off. He's like, look at me. <laughs> look at me. Um, so uh, this coffee, so this coffee is actually, we, we booked this coffee after we had a number of uh, sort of shop and competition successes with some other Ecuadors we booked from the same um, importing company, which is uh, Caravella. Um, and this is actually not this season's crop. This is still from last year's. But That's cool. I feel like uh, talking to people, it, it's held up pretty well. Um, for me, to contrast the experience here at Dan's and at the shop, this coffee has always been a little bit of what I would call, um, I, I hate to say this because it sounds a little lazy, but kind of a coffee coffee. Like it feels like um, it's an elevated kind of all-arounder. Um, 
every morning kind of cup to me. In the shop, there's a little bit more uh, what I would call apricot or brightness, like stone fruit, but just slightly, you know, just the beginning of ripeness and not like super juicy end of season ripeness. Yeah, like a little early season tart apricot. Yeah, and I feel like it starts to dial in a little bit right now as it's cooling. Uh, I get caramel. I get something kind of what I'll call salty, but in a good way. Like, um, I've said this a couple times about this coffee, like a ghost, which is a style of beer that has a, it's like a summer style of beer. It's German, I think, that has a little kind of salty or briny characteristic. But again, because of the caramel note to me, I feel like it's very complimentary as opposed to tipping it like to something deep and savory. I think I agree. I think it's very quenching for like the entire palate. It's like a very balanced coffee. Yeah. Um, I was almost saying like a little orange citrus, um, but not like an orange, more like uh, mandarin maybe. Mm. Something a little sweeter. Yeah. So less of the stone fruit kind of impression and more of a, just a straight citrus. I feel like stone fruits are, well, right now, like every, whenever I think of stone fruit, like peaches and apricots, apricot season's over. Peaches are hitting really hard right now and have been for a minute and they've been so sweet and mm. not so tart, especially if you're eating peaches from Missouri and you're like letting them ripen all the way when you eat them. Um, but there is like a sweetness to the cup yeah and I think maybe that's the caramel like coffee quality yeah the the feel is kind of heavy it definitely um, I feel like the the coating aspect is very heavy but that first sip felt light but now my mouth feels not fatigued but very very heavy. Very quenched. Yeah, very quenched. So, overall, I think this is like, uh, if anyone, you know, came in the shop and they really enjoyed the the Firefly Ecuador, I would say that this is a good replacement for that, except it, what I'll call this note of caramel or what you're calling kind of that sweeter, darker kind of caramelized sugar aspect is bigger and I feel like for the coffees we have in the shop right now, we have nothing that has kind of a caramely cup profile. We have sweet cups, but in terms of like that dark caramel, mm -hmm. I don't. I feel like we don't have anything uh, represented there. I think this is a great coffee. I feel like I would brew this for my dad and he would like it. Not yeah. to bring in like a dad reference, but yeah. for somebody that wasn't willing to dive into a cup and really like think about what's going on, but wanted to drink it and really enjoy it, I think this would be like they would think it's exceptional. Yeah. And not be put off by like the acidity yeah. or the like ripeness. Right. It's just like really balanced and very pleasant. Yeah. And I could drink this every morning. Yeah, I think this is a good 
all around her and I think that's what when I think all around her I think every kind of everyday morning cup I would drink it at 6.30 at night too like like now like right now yeah no I think this is it's the sweetness uh, is is just I, I feel very expressive right now because it cools and maybe it's like what do you think that's like 40 degrees off brew temp right now I mean I can touch it it's pretty it's pretty cool yeah I would it's, say it's like 100 and 40, 150 degrees. It's like yeah. Warm. Yeah. It's still warm. It's not room temperature, but I think, I think it's really coming together. It's like almost, I don't want to say juicy, but almost juicy. I agree. Yeah. So, um, one coffee down. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. And this is the Columbia you said? Uh, and so the next coffee is uh we're gonna do is a congo so i'll just kind of outline what that is but before you i make you do the hustle there maybe we'll we'll take a, a beat and kind of do like a throwback minute where we talk yeah, about the know, early let's throw it back yeah throw it back to like the the early flashback friday yeah flashback friday the early days of some but not just the early days of some the early days of what i would consider my friendship with you so um, I will say this in all, in all, in all honesty, um, and I don't think it's just me, but I think like there's this kind of like coolness about you that is like not cool, like Fonzie cool, but just coolness, outwardly calm kind of, you know what I mean? Not like a cool collar pop kind of thing, but just I'm a cool cucumber kind of guy that there's a little bit there's a little bit because there's like it, it's an off putting kind of thing because it's but only because I think you know when people come at you and you already know what their sales pitch is kind of who they are like you know they're going to be this obnoxious person or quiet or shy if they kind of wear their identity on their sleeve if you will you kind of like quickly classify them, stereotype them, whatever, and digest them, put them in a category. But you kind of come in and it's like, I can't really get a read on this dude. I don't know if like he's going to be a hater, if he's going to be, you know, ex exactly the, the angle. Like, is this is this going to end up bad for me? Like, I'm learning my craft and I'm going to give you something. And I'm not sure this is going to end up in like... A very kind of negative bro-y kind of situation or is this going to end up where it ended up in my opinion which is unexpected not because I didn't think it was capable of you of you but I think in the fact that unexpected and that I didn't even know what I was looking for within myself through this vehicle of coffee and so what what I found is you know in the early days we were a multi-roaster and it was essentially it was me, Matt, and Mars. And that's basically who was in the shop. There was Alex German was there for a minute. There were some other people that kind of passed through. I had no idea Alex worked there. For a minute. And then we had like a little falling out. And he'll probably tell you more about it. But we, yeah, so early on, there were some other people that kind of passed through. But that was kind of the core. So everything that happened in that shop was very emotional because the intention behind creating it in those early days in my opinion, was probably more, it was a more art project than business. And so 
and it was a struggle. So it was like very lean times. We were really weren't making any money. So like if Mars and I would have a fight, we would have a fight behind the bar essentially, or you could tell that we had a fight behind the bar. And it was very, it was a very ugly kind of thing. And, and I remember like I would do stupid stuff when I think back, I would like save all my pucks so I could look at my pucks at the end of the day in terms of were they solid or were they all broken up and channely and you know I, I was basically had again no business starting this business and it was through this communication of the coffee with you Dan I think and other people such as yourself who came in early on who were thoughtful not you didn't come in as a coffee person and say oh you're doing that all wrong this is how you need to do it like let's say when Alex came in I couldn't steam milk and he was like well this is how you steam milk you know this is how you do a rosetta so there were people that came in and gave us technical skills but there were there were people such as yourself that came in that I feel like gave us principles to explore coffee or questions under which to explore coffee based on how thoughtful your interaction was when we would have coffee together. So, you know, for people that, you know, don't work in a coffee shop and have never like dialed in espresso, the the ritual is you get in a little early. Um, We try and staff people. So they come in an hour early to dial in both espressos. So kind of a half hour piece. But when I was dialing in, I would, get up and spend as much time as I needed to try and find the, the sweet spot. So I would be hungry and super sort of, I would have kind of explored a lot of that space that the coffee lived in. And then you would say, come in and order an espresso. And I was just eager to get feedback. And you gave very compelling, very thoughtful very metered and weighted feedback that in a way helped me explore coffee in a way up to that point I had never seen coffee. So I came to coffee because it was, I had a great experience, Ninth Street Espresso, I've talked about this forever, and it was just a milk drink. It was just a latte, it was a thoughtful beverage, but it was just that experience in the early part of the day that was made special by that little bit of extra effort. And I was trying to create something like that, but also find my own voice in that space. And it was really, it was exploring coffees, and I don't want to give a shameless plug here, but through, I think, er, the early years of Kuma roasting and sourcing some of those coffees Mm -hmm. that really opened some doors, I feel like. I don't know. Um... Well, I think you were trying to give me a compliment, which... I was totally giving you a compliment. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Um, I feel like I first came into coffee by coming in your shop. Like, I was not a coffee person. And I... It feels weird even saying that now. I just... I felt like we were having a conversation. And I feel like that's what coffee is really about. If you want to be in the coffee. Yeah. It's about, like, talking about it and trying to understand it. Um. But I think some of the Kuma coffees early on were, I guess we talk about this all the time, and I don't don't know, some other people that work in the shop probably know this, but like there's this one coffee, the Burundi, 
which I think you've talked about it on some of the other podcasts. Not that coffee, but Burundi coffee in yep. general. And it sort of like, I think it was the first or second time I came in actually. And it's just like blew my mind that coffee had qualities like that. Because um, before that, I guess I was at places you would consider uh, second wave yeah. coffee shops. And then coming to see like what you were trying to do was very eye-opening. And like there's like more intention than just like drinking coffee. Yeah. And I think that uh, for me at least at that point in time, like it was really easy for me to grab onto that because it like paralleled other things that were going on in my life Mm -hmm. with business. I feel like at that point in time, I was just starting to become like really studious about food. Mm -hmm. Um, Before that, it was like just being technical, but then actually really just having more intention and understanding things a little bit more and like why I have ideas and like flavors or whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say that having coffee in the shop was like super helpful for me also just for me like improving as a chef. Um, So yeah, it was, it was a funny time. It was a good time because I, I, I felt like it was, it you was know, a great time. It was, it was like just difficult financially, whatever. But it was a good time in that I could be like, I, I, I don't know if I've said this before, but when you open a business, I think you know you think about all the things you want to do. But I think sometimes what gets not is not in the fore is thinking about how interesting the people that come in are going to be and I, and I would definitely put you in that category and, and not like interesting like mm, eccentric interesting just generally interesting because we would talk, not only talk about the coffee um, and that kind of like I guess in a way encouraged me to continue to do what I wanted to do because I felt like at least there was there was a sort of a tribe of like minds at least that were not you know getting into this groove about discussing it and recognizing whether it be from some or from someone but just recognizing what's special in coffee whether it comes from you know my shop or somebody else's shop but it was also like you were really into cycling at that time and you're still in the cycling but you were this is before you had a kid you were i didn't have a car yeah and you were like so into it that it was i don't want to say religious but i remember you like to you you like recommended that i watch this video of this bike maker and so i think what happened is yeah, i do remember that now. yeah okay, yeah so what happened what happened at that time and i think something was in the water in st louis because a lot of i think noteworthy and you could say craft or small or whatever businesses started around five to seven years ago in st louis like the breweries some really interesting restaurants um and and it was this idea of being inspired by other creatives mm-hmm. and recognizing that we're kind of all doing the same thing or following the same creative spirit or experience, but but the vehicle for that is different. And so I remember when we would talk coffee, we would also talk about 
challenges, I think. And it wasn't just like, how am I going to make payroll challenge? But like challenges... I don't think we ever talked about no, stuff like that. We've, ne- not, we've never talked never about the minutia of running no, a business. It's all bullshit. We were talking about like getting your point across and maybe like actually like the feeling of making something and delivering it and like what that is. Yeah. It was... I don't want to say it was spiritual or metaphysical because that makes it seem like it is ill-defined. It it was very clearly defined, I think, when we talked about it. But like when you talked about not only like you said, hey, check this video out, but when you talked about riding your bike and like all the gear you used to wear with it and like the the, the scarf, the Stevie Nick kind of thing for like the <laughs> Stevie Nick <laughs> to fly. Yeah, yeah, to to signal like other cars and don't hit me. Yeah, don't hit me. <laughs> and but it was like it, it wasn't just you weren't just riding a bike because you didn't have a car you you were riding a bike because it was part of your mental well-being and creative process yeah I agree and I just had five espressos yeah <laughs> but it was, so, it was it was it was it was a it was a good time yeah and 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 it's still a good time but it's a more adult time yeah. I feel like there's a lot more responsibility it's nice to reflect on it yeah I know we do every so often uh, it's nice to share it with people. I think it's important. I bet other people have very similar sort of experiences, but in different ways. But I feel like as the community of small business owners and people that are making products, um, and I think this is sort of what we were also talking about at that time, is like you use the term a lot like a support group because um, – it's just difficult a lot of times. Uh, like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Um, especially if you're like not making money. Yeah. And you're like putting it all out there, and you feel like anytime I know like chefs feel this a lot, and I know you feel the same way. But anytime you put yourself out there, you like put a plate of food out. That's like they're not judging the food. You feel like they're judging you as a person, and that's like a direct representation of what you embody and what you're trying to do and so you take it really seriously and it's like hard to separate yourself from that sometimes yeah um and i don't know i think that that's like why these things are so special yeah i i would totally agree with you i feel and maybe that was so important to make a connection with you like early on and that you know was thoughtful you were thoughtful about your comments was is exactly that when you when you do something where you where money is not just falling off a truck into your pocket and you're doing something because it's somehow personally meaningful or relevant to you and you make that you cook that dish you plate it you uh pull that shot whatever you make those decisions and you put that out there. There are many branch points. It's not like that, you know, once you have the raw ingredients, they don't just put themselves together. So that's very personal and reflective of a philosophy, of an identity, of, you know, how you want to relate to people. And if they, like, are insensitive to that, it's very hurtful. It's very personal. And it doesn't mean – so this is something that I've, I've – I've, 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 I, I feel and I've said to other people before it doesn't mean just because I tried my best you sh- you're gonna like it <laughs> so it's not like yeah I tried my best though 
So it's it's not like that's not an excuse. It's not like well it came from my little hands and so you know tiny Timish and but it is it does mean that I think what people should be more mindful of in their criticism is that it can cut very very close and and extend beyond what they think is sort of maybe a commercial environment to a very personal space very quickly and so to be thoughtful of the criticism you know just because i'm earnest and i have a plan and a philosophy doesn't mean i'm going to make good stuff but it does mean that if if you're not turned on to it you shouldn't just you know run to yelp and say it was garbage you should definitely engage in a in a thoughtful way and you know and explain maybe why it wasn't for you. I mean, I had recently, very recently, we do this subscription service. It's kind of, it's called, I think it's called Roaster's Choice or something like that. And, um, uh, through the website and, um, this woman canceled her subscription, I think after two weeks or something or two services. And she basically just kind of said, you know, this isn't, it wasn't I, I couldn't find myself in there so I just wanted to, she wasn't mad she wasn't anything but I like I followed up with her I was like um, and I wasn't mad either and I didn't want to be intrusive I didn't want to think like oh yeah we're, we're, we're collecting you know market data and we're going to build a, a better robot but I was just curious like kind of what were her expectations and what was she you know looking for how did we kind of fall short was it messaging was it product was it what and she was she was very honest but not in a mean-spirited way and she basically just said um essentially in my opinion she was like i I prefer coffee with a little bit more roast development i mean she didn't know that that was the difference but that's what she's looking for in the cup and so what we're doing is something very specific and trying to create like this kind of more coffee is tea, coffee is clarified kind of experience. And so that, so where we failed then is if maybe she heard that we make great coffee, where we failed is conveying the message of what kind of coffee we make. And I don't think we failed in like, she didn't say, oh, this is underdeveloped or this is overdeveloped or tastes baggy or stale. It was, she was kind of looking for, I think, a weight and a body of the cup that based on our roasting style, is just something we don't do. So that means we failed because we didn't message clearly. So it's not super personal, although it is because I didn't want to sell somebody something that they didn't like either. But it's very helpful to be thoughtful and measured in your feedback as opposed to just be like, oh, I don't know, the waiter was assy and my thing didn't come out when it was supposed to. You know, yeah, that's really refreshing. And like, I know me personally, and you might say the same thing. Like, I love constructive criticism. It's like the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Um, but it's like not very often that you get it. Right. Where people are actually like trying to understand what you're trying to do and then giving feedback based on that. It's usually just like feedback based on what they want. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. But it sounds like this was a really refreshing experience to like actually have somebody give you feedback like that. Yeah, it was refreshing, but also sad because, in a way, I failed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to. I want everyone to love what we do, and she didn't love what we do, and I. I sort of start at this point understand that we we don't make a cup for everybody. But maybe 
you crossing paths with her and selling her coffee, she probably has a much greater understanding of what she wants now. Yeah. And so in a way, you like impacted her life positively knowing that she gave you the response she did and everything. And so like, that's a good thing. And like, there's other people you can sell coffee to. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah. So she probably is like, knows way more about coffee now. Yeah. I, I think that's... It's a, refer- it's a reference point. It's a reference point. Yes, right. It's a data, her, it's a, it's a data point. It's a data point. Are we going to finish this? Mm-hmm. This has gotten... It's like even... It's like kind of cool now. Mm-hmm. Oops, sorry. And it's really nice, I think. Yeah. Kind of... Kind of weird that it's a little. I don't. I don't know if bright is the right word, but there's a little bit kind of like black tea astringency to it now. There's a little dryness there to it. There is a dryness to it. Yeah. Right? So it kind of like makes your tongue pucker a little yeah. bit. Just just a little bit, not a lot. Yeah, which kind of also gives the impression of juiciness, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, I agree. All right. Round two. So the next coffee, uh, so what we're trying to do in the shop is we're trying to develop different batch sizes that we have dialed in. So we have always done like a 10-pound batch size for like a 25-pound roaster. Um, And we also have a 17-pound batch size. But we're trying to half the 10-pound batch size and dial that in. So that means that we can buy smaller lots of rarer or more pricey coffees that come in bags that are less than 60 kilograms and be able to sort of dial that in quickly and and offer that in the shop without creating too much um, volume but still have a large number of coffee offerings. So this is, again, going back to um, being inspired a lot from... Sarah's trip to Taiwan, and then we had a, 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 a regular also go to Taiwan and kind of follow some of Sarah's recommendations and come back and kind of almost underscore her experience. That's cool. I know that. And so it's like this idea of coffee as wine where people go out more in the evening, enjoy it. The, 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 cu- the cup sizes are a little smaller, like five ounces, but all the coffees well, one, they have like 10 to 12 coffees. And I was like, how do they do that? But they don't have extensive wholesale programs. So no one's trying to buy, buy like a 30-kilogram roaster and then sell it to everybody in town. Everyone has smaller like 5-kilo, 2.5-kilo kind of roaster sizes. So they have smaller batches and they're roasting a broader uh, uh, group of coffees. And the coffees in general tend to be pretty exotically tasty meaning so exotically tasty to means to me means very expensive green so geishas um different alternative process coffees coffees from um what i'll call rockstar coffee farms like i don't know vita battle or hacienda esmeralda or the 90 plus group or just kind of I don't want to call them name brand but very recognizable coffee growing brands 
So what we did, this is a Congo. So this is a Congo, the Sopakti that we have in the shop and we've had in the shop for a while. So we've decided to actually see if we can reproduce that at five pounds or what we get when we start doing that. So this is our third uh, roast of that coffee at five pounds. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's pretty good. The Congo? Like yeah. The Congo that... Yeah, the Congo that's the, in the shop now. The you and Robert Congo? Yes, the Robert and I Congo, the the the, the one of the more relaxed podcast Congo. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this is this is actually Robert roasted these today. Uh, we're going to cup them in the morning, so these are pretty fresh. But there's definitely been about six to seven hours since he's roasted them. That's plenty of time. Yeah, it's plenty of time. I mean, they were pretty good right out of the roaster. I mean, you, you got to kind of see through that new car smell. It's it's weird. It was it's like they come right out of the roaster and they're still hot. And he's like, he shoots me a slack. He's like, all right, I, I got them set up, but everything's still hot. It's just like the the, <laughs> the beans are like it was as hot as what we're so it was like we definitely we're definitely excited to try something new and see what we got. So this is a little bit less excited state for the coffee. Robert's racing uh, in the Crit State Championship this weekend, trying to win. Oh, in Jeff City. In Jeff City. Yeah. Go, Robert. Go, Robert. I asked Robert today, so uh, anyone who hasn't listened to the podcast with Robert, he gives a little exposition about being Category 2 track racer. And I mean, the, the, he's very serious about racing. I think he just got like King of the Mountain on Strava for the fastest time up around Chain of Rocks and Backer or something like that. So he's he's a very strong rider and he's very humble and he's very accessible about it, but he's very committed. Uh, but we were, I don't know how we got into this, uh, but we were, uh, started asking, oh, I think I was going to pick up Lasad. So Lasad is, uh, he owns Sperno Rib, which is across the street. I think Lasad. I think he told me he's like five two, five one. I don't know, maybe five three. I can't remember how tall I told him. But I, I came back from a meeting and I and he was there. I was like, Lasad, let me pick you up. He's like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, you can pick me up. He's like, no problem. He's like, you know, I'd be I'd be surprised if you couldn't pick me up. So, um, so he got dared you. Right, but I didn't pick him up. But I knew I could probably pick him up because I picked Mike up. Mike from Counterculture. Oh, Mike's a big dude. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, right. Picture. Yeah, yeah, and and he's pretty solid. That was a, that was that was that was definitely a test. Mike was just called a super chef on uh, St. Louis magazine. Oh wow, super chef. He's a super chef. Well, anyway, so this conversation was going nowhere fast, but we started talking about how much we weighed. <laughs> <laughs> so Robert comes up and he's uh he's all in his uh biking cutoff shorts. So and uh and you know his legs are I always say his legs look a little bit like like really big chicken breast. With his jailbird tattoos. Yes, with his jailbird tattoos. <laughs> so I was like, Robert, how much you weigh? And then I was like, Oh let me let me guess. One leg probably weighs, you know, because he's he's not he's not like a sprinter, so it's not this ridiculous anatomy. But he's pretty. He's a slight guy, with very strong-looking bicycle legs. He's kind of ripped. <laughs> yeah, he's totally ripped. So uh, yeah, I was like guessing that like one leg weighed like sixty-five pounds or something. And but uh, anyways, it's not funny now, but it was hilarious today because I make great jokes. But uh, 
Robert's racing. He's racing in Jeff City. And so this is not a track race, though. This is like... This is a criterion race. Okay, so it's... two laps on a circuit. Yeah. It's an uphill finish. Wow. Uh, it's a hard race, I think, but he's going to chill and try to win this race. How many... The, the details of the race, to me, uh, are always a mystery. Like, he says he, he races, and then he'll tell me where he places... But, I, like, how many miles? Like, it's never in miles. It's always in uh, laps, right? It's always right? in minutes. And then oh. when there's uh, five minutes left, they're like, all right, three laps to go or something. So they basically say, they set the race up and they say the race is going to be X number of minutes. Yes. And when we get to this period of the race, we're going to say there's five laps left. Yes. Uh, After you've, like, an amount of time has expired. But you know going in, like, when you're at the starting block, they say this is going to be 40 minutes plus five laps. Well, or it might be, depending on how fast they're going, Yep. they might be, like, they're going really, really fast, like, we'll do five laps. If they're going a little bit slower, they might do three laps, because there's usually a race afterwards. Oh. Um, And so, for scheduling purposes, they, like, change it like that. But usually, it's, like, three to five laps or something like Uh. that. And then, like, things really start picking up and right. start cranking yeah. really hard. Yeah, I've watched one of those in, like, in the loop. Uh, or, yeah. wait, it was on, like, Del Mar. Yeah, you can grind it. There's a bike race? No, there used to be something, I think, in New City or something. That was This is when Alex worked at the shop. And he raced. He did, I think he did not well. But that was the first kind of crit that I saw. Well, like when he raced, I think if you're at the end, right? If you start to get at the end, they like tap you out. Or you just say, look, I'm not going to win this. And you stop. There's a lot of debate whether or not Alex races in the A races or not. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm not alone. But anyway, so I watched. So this is the first time I saw these races. And they would like, when they come by, that noise they make. That like swoop. And it's like, it's smooth, but menacing. Because they, they're what? What are they doing? Like 27 miles an hour or something? If it's uh, flat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> anyway. Faster towards the end of the race. Anyway, Robert is very strong. He's definitely very casual about it. Yeah, he's very humble. Yeah, he's very humble. But uh, I forgot. I can't. Is that on Sunday? He's a freak show. It's on Sunday, yeah. He's working tomorrow. I, sh- I should have, like, s- I guess he doesn't need time off. I think that's actually good because, because he can distract it'll be more himself. normal going into it. Like, sometimes having a lot of time off is not necessarily a good thing, maybe. Because it, like, throws you out of your rhythm. Yeah. But everybody's different, maybe. Uh, so. Here we go. Congo. Congo. So same numbers, twenty-seven, three ninety. You know it. You know it. The sweet spot. The sweet spot in the Dan house. Um, so the goal uh, again is to roast smaller batches to offer more um, sort of limited releases, um, and then turn that into actually an EK shot program that pairs every brew with an basically the ability to do. Uh, to pull a shot of espresso of that same coffee. I love that idea. Um, so, and again, I think we have like Sarah's trip and her experience to kind of thank or be inspired by that. And I don't think it's naive to say like you have to have these inspirational points. And this is sort of the, the second topic 
that we queued up about owning a business, starting it from maybe more art project than you know a P&L statement, kind of growing that business for a little while, maybe not even growing it into something like you're like, well, this is a success. It's ready for private equity money, but growing it such that you have you know, some staff members, you have a regularity, you know, you pay your bills without uh, losing sleep. And then now what do you do? You know what I mean? The thing is in talking to people, whether it's in coffee or any technology or any industry, a lot of the innovation doesn't come within the market leader. It is typically this kind of leapfrog experience. Like somebody will be a market leader and then somebody like does this you know, yeah. Then the, somebody does like a leapfrog over you and innovates where, you know, the clear market leader, I, I don't know, a good example would be like, I don't know, maybe Texas Instruments. I know they're still around, but at one time they were. Dude, I still use my TIA trio. Yeah, no, I think they're still relevant. I, I mean, maybe that's a bad example. Um, maybe like Sun Microcomputers or something. They used to make kind of these supercomputers. And they've kind of essentially disappeared. Or Wang. Uh, this is even longer. But there was a company called Wang. And I think there's an interesting kind of Wikipedia page in terms of how it blew up. It was like business machines. I don't know if they were like full-on computers as of the time. Big Mike needs to come in. Big Mike needs to come in. And if they're full-on computers or exactly what they were. But they were these office machines. And they were market leaders. And they sort of you know set the industry standard. And then they kind of... Disappear. I don't know if it's because you get complacent, because you you have generational changes, you lose your core kind of group of innovators. But what do you do kind of mid-cycle in a company to kind of reconnect to that third rail that caused you to kind of hang your own shingle in the beginning? That looks beautiful. Um, we're just talking about the bed. This is perfect. Um, of coffee, not his bed. <laughs> I'm sure that looks perfect too, but uh, but the the brewing bed, but so this is something that like, you know, I don't think by any means, Sump is, you know, this thing that's like a wild success and, you know, I'm lost in the force. But like, how do how do you how do you inspire yourself again to push yourself? How do you reengage your food barbecue? Somebody's barbecue. How do you reengage your staff? if they've been there long term to like kind of take up the the charge again um, and encourage them to explore and kind of innovate Uh, and I don't know that there's an answer for it I'm sure like you know Harvard MBA program or just Harvard publishing in general publishes a lot of books in terms of how to do that but just on a personal level I mean I I don't have an answer it's kind of I guess more rhetorical but it's it's this is an opportunity to explore or ask that question of you or ask if you've had similar thoughts or you know like I, I feel like you have and like you're like well I can scale my business and make this big push for something else or I can scale it this way but still do the other thing that you do in life that's regular um, also your day job yeah I still have it <laughs> yeah. Um. I think that I feel like any business uh, is 
only going to be as successful as the people that are operating it or, or that are a part of it. And I think that means like bringing good people on. And as like a business owner and like, I feel like a business, there's like, anybody can own a business, but like being a leader for your business, I think is very different. And I, I feel like for me at least, that means like being like putting my employees and my team in a position where they can be the best that they can be. And if I'm doing that, then it's really easy for me to lean on them. Mm -hmm. And then it um, it empowers them to have more impact on the direction the business is moving within. And then instead of having like just my ideas or mm -hmm. me working through something, it's everybody going towards the same goal and like leading them there. And so that like you have all of these minds working towards that. And a lot of this sort of happens on its own in a way when they're truly invested and feel like you care about what they, mm -hmm. their impact there. Mm -hmm. and you feel like they're part of the team. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of this sounds kind of like chummy chum, but I feel like it's a very real thing. And I've noticed it with your team a lot. Um, I don't think it always existed. Mm -mm. Not like your ability to lead them, but like the dynamic of a team. And I think anybody will, especially in service or like when you're like having to work together in that capacity, it's like really important for the team to gel that way. Mm -hmm. And then like you essentially end up having like this supercomputer, if you will, mm -hmm. of like all of these minds working towards the same thing. And I don't know. I think that comes back to like, getting the business to like continue to evolve and to grow mm -hmm. and then understanding that there's a lot of times there's like multiple ways to mm -hmm. get to a point um, right and like being comfortable with that can be really difficult but I think it's like a key to being successful as a business owner right I would agree with that and I totally I would I don't think any of that sounds hokey or, or chummy chum but I think that's that's what what I think about now in that I think um, I want to set up a platform that allows members of the staff to feel like they can vest and contribute so it doesn't feel like they're robotic and rotely just executing kind of like just do this because I said to do it and I also feel that they will contribute in ways that will be positive for the business if we create an environment that is neutral, at least to exchange those ideas without judgment. And I always say, like, I, I want them to push themselves. I want them to present their ideas and expression. But it's also kind of like a benevolent dictatorship in that not everything that comes up Maybe because they don't understand all the moving parts because they don't get to see the full picture is not every suggestion would be a good fit or, or fits a principle. And saying no doesn't mean they should just shut down entirely. But then the, this idea of creating that kind of platform that you talked about, but then turning them into leaders mm -hmm. so that you can build more. Not so that you can just disappear, but so that you know 
that the next tier because I, I feel like You're I mean kind of in the middle of that right now right like right. going to a new store oh totally like, it scares the shit on me I feel like I'm breaking up the band right now with like because I do feel like this team that we have is it, they, they're like one of the strongest teams they work together very well they're very courteous conscientious there's no like infighting there's no kind of we don't have like two alpha members or like trying to one up each other there's no sharp elbows but we've had some of those mixes before and then to kind of remove some of that as you said supercomputer to take that board you know mat and and move part of the board into a new space with new components if you will and really not have any idea how the new components are going to interact or the new members um, and and try and create what I think is an exceptional experience here, down there. I think that uh, I mean I, I would be uncomfortable and you know pretty stressed about the whole thing in general. But I would also feel like I think Matt is like a really strong human being. Yeah. Especially in, like in relating to people, and I think that he'll like kind of excel in that role. I think he is at least kind of coffee service and I said this to him in the little kind of podcast thing we did but he's probably one of the strongest kind of front of house hospitality people and it almost knows it intuitively you know like other people might have to try not that they're being insincere but they just have you know like you know some people are more casual on the team and so they're like less they want to create an exceptional experience but they do it in a in a in a way that seems a little it's more a, it's a thought process yeah it is and it matches like kind of breathes it a little bit yeah i think and and that's that that i think that is so core to what we do that him being able to share that as a standard to the other members that we add to the team down there is invaluable yeah i agree I'm excited for that store to open. I think I'll come down. Oh, I have a, I have a photo of where it's at right now. Um, no one else will be able to see it until we actually open. But um, this doesn't make for good television. <laughs> good podcast. <laughs> it doesn't make for good podcasting well, either. This this, uh, this beta roast of the Congo smells very promising. It's, Smells like that's like a head shop quality. It's really nice. Oh yeah, I love the head shop quality and the coffee. <sighs> smells good. That's tight. It's getting there. So countertops way more intentional. <laughs> Super more intentional. That's what like scares me about the whole thing. It's like, well, people keep asking. Much. Yeah, people keep asking. They're like. Is it going to be the same as St. Louis? And I like... like no, this place is so backwards. Like, what are you talking no, about? Yeah. Well, I was just like, well, this was... The St. Louis shop was is was very DIY, and we got to iterate... It's evolved so much. So, yeah, to where we are, because no one cared or knew that we opened. So it was like we opened with what we could, kind of shoestringy, and then we reinvest and add based on, I feel like, how the space got used and what we think we needed to add. Where opening in Nashville, 
I, I wouldn't say the expectations are super high, but there is some expectation. The, the brand has some recognition. And so we have to deliver a more complete experience. Right away. Yeah, right away in terms of like the, you know, finishes and fit and, you know, everything. So the stakes are a little higher. And then also the building in Nashville is brand new. So everything is very right angle and... Spill some motor oil. Yeah, right. We just got to like kick some holes in the wall or something or peel some paint back or... But we can't get... We can't really... I mean, there's no way we're going to get those elements. You going to have any artwork? Yes. So we are in talks with Daniel to go down there and paint a mural. But I think he was really thinking something very ambitious. But now that I've been in the space, I feel like maybe that space isn't right for that ambition. Just because, did you see the other wall? Maybe you won't know until you've been there perfectly. Yeah, so you see that white wall? So that's it. That's the fear is like for him to execute at the level he wants to execute would require him to be there for a while. Yeah, and I think he's thinking, yeah, he's thinking that. And so, but I think at this, I want to do maybe what you suggest is like, well, let us have an opportunity to kind of live in the space and, and see what the space kind of requests this sounds hokey but you know requests in terms of what it wants you might put a mural on that wall and realize that like you need a banquet over there for the space to actually yeah. function better yeah and then you're like I just spent money I have this huge mural and now I gotta cover it up and then yeah so I think I think Mars was she said it best I mean I'm, I'm meeting with him tomorrow but Mars is like you know we should we should wait We'll see. Maybe we can get him to do something that's muralesque, but isn't fixed. Maybe we can get him to paint a piece. Yeah, and put it up and see if he'd be willing to do that. Yeah, like that. Um, I think our focus now is, should we get a lighted sign or a non-lighted sign for outside? No, so I wanted to get Neon. That guy never responded to me. That's fine. He's kind of a dick. Yeah. Well, that's what she, she suggested. But she yeah. You, right? Yeah. She's like, well, he may have views that are not in line with what you want. But um, so, yeah, I sent him a drawing and he got back to me and he's like, yeah, I could probably do that except for a couple of detail elements. And then I was like, responded back saying, well, I think we can simplify one part, but not another. What do you think? And how big would it have to be? Because he also implied a size. Nothing. So I guess he just doesn't feel like doing that work. Or maybe the project wasn't that interesting. But it's the kettle and skull. I thought that would be cool. Oh, that's dope. And then to be able to like light it so that it comes on and... That would be pretty cool, I think. Especially if it like flashed, like yeah, like, like you, in the red light district. Like, oh yeah, it's like on and off. Yeah, that would be good. No, like almost like more like Blade Runner. Like you yeah. flash the kettle first, yeah. and then the pour, and then the. That'd be cool. And then if you could do the drips and the skull in two different. I don't know. That's pretty exotic. I didn't pitch any of that. Super exotic. And yeah. Like, that's like twenty thousand dollar neon sign. Yeah. So, uh, it's like another espresso machine. Yeah. So, you know, so I hope that this new city allows us the time to be in the space to, you know, do what you suggested, you know, to add elements as we figure out how the space gets used and how we work in the space. What do you think of that cup? 
Um, can I be totally honest? Yeah, that's what I this is about. I think it's too fresh for me. So it tastes, what does too fresh mean? What does that taste like? Too much like I new car like, smell. I want to like taste it tomorrow. Oh, okay. So no comment? I, it's like really promising. I really like the Congo. There's coffee. Um, and I think like you can like see the like tidbits of potential in there, like where it wants to be. Yeah. But personally, like I have a coffee aging program. Yeah. And I think coffee is better, like especially for... I guess how I brew it or how I found like five to six days out. It's yeah. Like the sweet spot for me. Yeah. So it's like, this is kind of a new experience for me. Like even though I have cupped a few yeah. in the shop with coffee this fresh yeah. out of the roaster, I'm like not as, yeah. Know, I'm still figuring out like what I'm looking for. I would agree with that. I think this coffee, I mean, I don't know if we nailed the roast on it and that's why it's beta and I just thought it'd be interesting because most of the coffees we've cupped or talked about on the podcast have been all production profiles. So for me, what this coffee is lacking or needs, it might need age, but it also, it tastes green, but not green beanie. So there's like almost like this impression of like the coffee skin when it roasts. You can smell it. Yeah. And maybe that's on the, why on the actual bean, maybe that's why I'm like feeling that way. Or maybe that's why when you smelled the carafe, you said it was like weedy. Like, oh yeah, yeah, this smells earthy, and it's got this like almost like I just dug it out of the ground kind of vibe. Kind of almost, I'd say potato. And so I think Congo, because of where this coffee comes from around the Lake Kivu region. Yeah will can sometimes have this potato virus defect i don't think this cup I don't, I don't any of that. yeah but i do get this earth earth and it could, could be like this kind of just roasted kind of coffee skin feeling or you know again i don't know like when they laid it out on the patio bed and they they uh they uh rotated it in the sun to dry it out i don't know if that like imparts some earth notes or the, the again this kind of we we say when we kind of cup these new coffees, there's kind of like new car smell, but I think it needs to cool off a little bit. But like when I smell it out of here, yeah, it's herby still. I wouldn't say herby. It has. Um, it actually smells. It smells good. Good, yeah. It, it smells like good. it's going to be sweet, or yes. yeah. It has uh, like a bergamot, like incense type of quality. Mm. Um. Yeah, when I smell it, I, I find that coffees kind of often. Yeah, I, th- especially I th- with African coffees, but um, I, th- I think as it's cooling, it's getting that n- new coffee vibe out. I, I agree. But I also think that now that I have like three or four sips, chasing that Ecuador, which had so much sweetness, that this th- there's a there's a palate gap or whatever it's a bump the mouthfeel of the Ecuador is yeah it's pretty exceptional yeah is, is people pay attention to that shit or is it just I, that's like the first thing I notice when I I'm having coffee I would say that well I mean I don't know what you mean by people but I I know Robert noticed it right away when we started cupping early roast of the Ecuador was he noticed how like heavy how like coating 
and big it was. And I don't think that early roast for that coffee he enjoyed. So we did some tweaks, but the weight has always been there. And I think he noticed that first and foremost. And if it's a good cup with balance and sweetness, I feel like that weight is positive. If it's, if it's a cup that you can't get your mind around or you're not totally into, that big and building and coating experience starts to become very negative and continue and, and reinforces the negative experience of the cup. I would never perceive that as a negative thing, personally. Well, no. I think wow. if the coffee is, like, if there's a note in the coffee and you're like, this, I'm, like, too dry or something... Then that it, it like amplifies that. I feel like when it's big and heavy and coating, it doesn't like disappear. I, I, I follow what you're saying. But you would never. You'd be like, it's still. It's like having an eccentric friend. It's like think, it's like, part of the I personality. Think, I think heaviness in the cup sometimes goes against what the both of you like to look for in coffee. Yeah, I would. Is what I would say. I would agree with that. I, I feel like there's a danger working with somebody who's who you feel like you've um, calibrated your palate with that maybe you can go too far afield and and not you know sometimes you need negative start locking up the grinder. Yeah, start locking up the grinder. Exactly, that's it. Start locking up the 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 profile of the coffee, but. I think sometimes you need not a full dissenting voice, but you need a voice so that you can question your conclusion or your reason, but you don't have to give it up. But just so that you can articulate it back to yourself to say, I hear what you're saying. It's kind of like what you talked about, constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. I hear what you're saying, but I purposely choose this other way. Sure. And for these reasons. But you know, as opposed to kind of like, yeah, this is great, this is great, this is great. I don't know. Do you do you find that it's changed a little bit now that's cooled or I think it's pretty nice. Still the same? Well you'll try it tomorrow. You'll come by. Yeah, I'll probably be by tomorrow. I mean I have this coffee. Well, if you it's the, it's the... I I think that coffee is really good. It's the solid coffee. Yeah, and so with the, that production roast, that profile, in my opinion, like until we put the Las Lajas on, I think my three favorite coffees. Well, I, it's hard to say. My four favorite coffees are that the Las Lajas. I like the Reiko. I like the Congo. But there was a while where. Our lineup was maybe down to four or five coffees, and the Congo was my favorite. The Congo is still very high up on my list, and I and I kind of like alternate between that and the Colombia. But I, I did a road trip with this coffee where I like brewed it, and I drove for hours, and I didn't finish the second half until basically second half of the road trip, and it was super raisiny and datey, and that was like the first time like those notes hit me really big, like this dark dried fruit. Whereas when it's hot, you know, I, I still see some of the earthiness, but I also see that beautiful kind of syrupy acidity. Have you uh, found that again or is it only on the road trip? No, I, I see it all the time now. I see that little bit as, it, as a, you give yourself a small pour. Even when I eat a bean now out of the roaster, uh, out of the cooling bin, it's like I can, 
I get that impression like I know it's there now. So it's like gotcha. I can't get rid of it. So it wasn't magic. It's like once I see it's it. There. Yeah, and maybe I force myself. You remember that Sadamo? Yes. That was like one of the first coffees we learned to roast on. Holy shit, that coffee was unreal. I know. And I don't know why I can't get Kitchen anything like that. Doing brunches at the time and they paired it with like a waffle or a pancake. Yeah. 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 That was like that was a spot coffee we bought that was basically we just called up Cafe Imports and we said, we need a bag of coffee. The coffee was outrageous. It was? It tasted like eating a blueberry. It was crazy. And we, I feel like we never, even when we get samples, forward samples, we've never had a coffee like that. Well, now they know they're holding out. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like Madcap one year had this arty, I think it was, that was like insane. It was like a, just a face shredder. And they still do an Arnie, but it's it's not it doesn't have the same character. It's not bad or anything. It's just not like that Sadamo. It's like I feel like that was a natural coffee. And even Where is Sadamo from Ethiopia. Yeah, so I think it's just south of Yergeshev, the the Yergeshev region. But um, yeah, we never like I don't know. I don't know if like we our style changed or we got a bigger roaster and we can't make coffee like that anymore. Or what do you? We were sort of talking about this the other day, but where do you think, like, what place do naturals have, like, on the menu at this point? Like, at one point, it was, like, really easy to, like, pop cherries with a natural and be like, this is, like, the possibilities of coffee, but now right. it's like, you've done that. Yeah. And so, well. How- what does it mean to be like pushing a natural in like I, I don't know 2017 it's, it's interesting to me yeah like I'm moving a natural in 2017 now and like in 2014 it was like oh shit like somebody's using their natural coffee yeah I think um, I, I, I don't know I, here's here's what I remember so what for me personally unless it's something like the Las Lajas it is not that meaningful because what I note is that fermentation, briny, minerality note above everything else. Whereas I feel like right now what we have with that Las Lajas is very clean natural. But there are other naturals that, and I, you know, I don't know that much about the process, so I can't tell you where it goes wrong or right. But there are some naturals that I feel like just have this clear black olive note with all the fruit and chocolate. But right in the middle of the cup is like somebody put like Clamata olive in there. So... I remember when Matt and Ben competed at regionals for us in Milwaukee or, or yeah, I think it was, no, it wasn't Milwaukee, it was uh, Minnesota. Um, and I forgot about that dude, Ben. Yeah, Ben, and he was just, Ben was just, oh man, he scored the lowest. It was embarrassing for everybody, but it was our first rodeo, so naturally. But we brought two coffees that the trainer from Intelli when we told him what coffees we had, he's like, this is like a middle finger to like the institution because we had a Pacamara, which is super herby. And, uh, you know, I think they're more, more on trend now, but it can be a very herbaceous bean coffee profile. So that's what Ben dug. He had a savory palate. So he brought that. And, and Matt had a, a natural Kenya, I think. And so having a natural processed coffee, up in front of competition then in front of the judges was really a a strong statement and an outlier 
But I feel like the script has completely flipped and that like when I judged um, the Brewers Cup this year at national, more so at national than at regional, I feel like a large, at least half of the competitors brought some sort of natural or alternative processed coffee. So as a judge... Did you say alternative, like honey? Like, like honey, yeah. Like yeah. honey, yeah. So as a judge, in a way... I was kind of looking for the wash coffee because you get this cup profile and I found that like a thoughtful and wash coffee was almost a relief in terms of that parade until I had this cup from this guy from Bird Rock who messed with his water chemistry. And I think it was like a natural geisha from the Esmeralda estate. And it was the most lush it kind of like maybe like the Sadama. It wasn't he blueberries. Like in the water or something? Well, like, yeah. I mean, so uh, what? Well, so he did more than soften it. I think he started with like RO water and then he added stuff back into it. So he added um, some ions um, and I can't remember it because I didn't write it down. I was too busy kind of scoring his cup in his routine. But he added uh, either magnesium or calcium. He added some uh, like like phosphate kind of like a bicarbonate i mean to buffer the solution but so it could have been really soft or it could have been where the sca wants it i don't know where it was on that sort of hardness scale but it was the first cup that to me really produced this beautiful lush coffee with no minerality so in theory messing with those qualities and understanding like what flavor is yeah you could essentially control like what is coming through more than something else i think he totally did and i mean i didn't try it with my water so i don't know i don't know how much they did but from all the other coffees i experienced and a lot of people brought their own water to competition because it's a big thing and for the nashville store we have an ro system that then remineralizes the water and you can adjust you can't really mix and match what minerals you put in there but you can adjust the total kind of hardness if you will or softness so you can make really soft or yeah like yeah like the total amount of dissolved solids or something so we can then play with that and maybe engineer cups that are more lush and that lack that minerality or you know I don't know but the possibility is really interesting. So in 20, 2017, selling a natural, I think I think m- m- the market for specialty coffee is more sophisticated. There are more small specialty shops in multiple cities now. When you travel, you see it. You see different impressions of, of quality or people trying. Uh, I think it's easier to get um, more exceptional coffee experiences in in multiple cities now. I mean, it's not, it's still not de facto but there's more of it and so I think people's palates are more sophisticated so or at least more experienced so I don't know that you're kind of flipping wigs anymore by by pushing a natural but but it is a profile that people can very viscerally respond to and the negative or the positive and that Sadamo was what we learned to roast on it was a spot coffee meaning that it was in a warehouse when we bought it we didn't book it forward I think we only got a bag or two. We did a lot of early roasts. We had a small roaster, two and a half kilograms. We never roasted a capacity. We might have roasted three and a half to four pounds at that time. And we produced a lot of coffees. I remember like Jonathan, who now works at Madcap now, I think, and 
I think Ben was around, but some of those early roasts, they would say kind of taste like popcorn. So it was like, it was a struggle. And then when that coffee hit, I think it was just the right time in the marketplace where more people were responding to coffee. Kind of like when you first came in, like, and you're like, there's something different in compared to the coffee I drink. And it's this broadening of awareness. And once you're aware, you can have the same experience again, but it doesn't heighten or it doesn't push you as far as that initial experience, I guess. Because I wonder too, like sometimes some of those, I think it was a Burundi. I remember talking extensively. I don't remember what mill it was from and it wasn't one we roasted, but I remember even like after that, this wasn't our first day being open that we'd been open a, a little while. I remember being impressed at what that coffee could deliver. I, and I don't think we're getting any less of coffees. I know we're, we're, we're booking exceptional high scoring coffees and we're paying for them, but I don't get as high a high. And this sounds like an addict maybe like, I'm like really enjoy coffee. I still love what we do, but like, I don't have that moment as no, often like chasing it almost yeah. like looking for it not actively seeking it yeah. but it's like I always it's like in some way or form always a reference point in every coffee I experience yeah because like that was the moment for me at least when my eyes sort of opened up to like what is possible with coffee in a way yeah and so it's like there yeah. And it's like even more powerful maybe because it's like an initial reference point. Right. It's like liking a band in your like late teens to early 20s versus getting into a band now. Are you like, totally. yeah, it's awesome, but it doesn't zip you back into those moments of nostalgia or euphoria or like it doesn't hit you as viscerally as that kind of tranche where you got really into music. Because you're, you're so saturated. Yeah, right. It's like a plot line. It's like, yeah, this is a good movie. It's like this, the, what is it? It's like the, um, it's the sequel to the Star Wars films, right? It's like, that was a great reboot, but if you look at it and you do it scene by scene, it's kind of like a new hope. It's exactly like a new hope. <laughs> but it's still good. But it's not like a Spider-Man reboot, right? Like how many times have they re did an origin reboot of Spider-Man? It's just like yawn. But it was still compelling. But it, it you know, didn't hit me as the original myth did when I saw it like way back in the 80s. Yeah, I feel like they had to like re-educate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Re-indoctrinate. But it, you know, like, it didn't get me as high. It was like I, I enjoyed this. But will I put that in this my pantheon of like great movies? Like I would put like Blade Runner or The Big Lebowski or the first Star Wars. No, because it just that was a moment where I was more receptive to certain things, and those those are I'm going to hold them higher. And this other stuff is it was good. It was worth my money. I you know. Julian loves his old Star Wars man. It's really, it's crazy. Yeah, they're good movies. Did he? What does he think of the? So the first three, what does he think of the, the, the second three? His favorite one is... He, he uh, doesn't like Xiao Xiao, does he? Um, he, uh, he really likes the older ones specifically because he, he's really into Luke Skywalker. Uh, and the idea that... Like, like Ma Mark Hamill. He's still trying to wrap his head around the fact that like Anakin was this like cool kid who flies those like uh 
whatever you call pod those, racers. the pod racers. Yeah. And then he's like trying to understand like how he becomes Darth Vader. And like it's really difficult for him to wrap his head around that. He's starting to understand it a little bit more. Yeah. But he really likes Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great. So I feel uh, like the first call him the Slav. <laughs> Slav. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think the new one coming out might be. I will say that episode seven. I agree with like your critique, where you're like, okay. It's resetting the scene, but it has me wanting episode eight. Oh yeah, and thinking that it has more potential. Yeah, and it, like seems like it might be kind of dark. Yeah, which would be, which would be nice. like The Empire Strikes Back, yes. how that ended dark. Yeah, what did you think of Road One? I thought that was pretty. It was entertaining, but you're like, okay. Yeah, it was too standalone. It wasn't myth building enough. Um, I like the robot. It I'm was sad to see him go. It was informative. I think it was cool at the end when, like, the best part is, like, Darth Vader comes out at the end. And, yeah. Like, he looks more badass than ever. Yeah. And then, like, that, that just watching the trailer of that part of the movie probably would have been good. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways. Anyway, so I think we've reached the end. I want to thank you for uh, putting up with me and making coffee and, and sharing your thoughts. And uh, that's it. Next time. <laughs>